some video glitches this morning. That's why we have a nine o'clock serve. You know that. You guys are all the guinea pigs. And then we work everything out for the 11 o'clock. So just stay for the 11 o'clock and you can see all the video things get all worked, uh, fixed up. Um, I, I, we're, we're finishing the last um, of our series here of Do You See What I See? And um, what we're doing is we're, we're taking a look at, at what's actually going on behind the scenes, behind the manger scene. And I know, I know for many of us, we have this, we have this idea of, uh, of the manger scene, it's, it's, or, or even of Christmas, of kind of a sanitized view of Christmas. Every, everything looks really in order, and you look at the manger scene, and the, and the sheep, they're, they're bahing, or they're meh, and they're, you know, the cows are lowing, and Jesus is there, and Mary and Joseph, and the shepherds, and everything just looks so wonderful and, and perfect. But when we really begin to dig into the Christmas story, it's not what it seems, and, and, and there's a lot that's going on. And I believe that the Christmas story can relate to your life more than you would ever believe. And I know sometimes for Christmas, it's not the most wonderful time of the year for everyone. And I know we get our Christmas cards together and we get our pictures together and we all look so good, don't we? Those Christmas cards look so good. But for many of us, when we look behind the pictures of maybe those Christmas cards, maybe your life isn't that great. Maybe you even feel like, man, my life's kind of a train wreck right now. And there's so many things that I'm struggling with. I believe that's the message of Christmas. That Jesus comes into our messiness. Jesus doesn't expect you to have it all together. Do you realize that Mary and Joseph had to traverse, they had to struggle, that the birth of the Savior of the world was not easy for them? And what I want to do through this series is allow us to see through the eyes of God. Because if you can't see your life through the eyes of God, you will easily get distracted and we will lose hope. How many know it's so easy to lose hope? It's so easy to get immersed by our problems and struggles. The minute, how many have ever felt this way? The minute you, you fixed one thing, there's another thing that pops up. Uh, can I get an amen? Are you with me, 9 o'clock? My, uh, my son, I gave him my old Subaru. I have a 2003 Subaru. Engine's fine. The thing is rusted out to no end. So we've got, if you see parts around 104, like mufflers and uh, quarter panels, it's, it's, that's Colby. That's, that's, that's our Subaru. We're trying to just patch this thing together, get him through college. And it's like, one, it's like the minute we fix one problem, then it's like the transmission goes. Then that goes, and then the, the whole muffler system dropped out on 104. And, and Colby didn't even know it, by the way. I said, Colby, your car's awful loud. He goes, yeah, I know it. I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. There's no muffler, by the way. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, anyway. Let's all pray right now for this next generation. They know everything about the computer though, right? You got any problems there? They don't know where to put the gas in, but they know everything about computers. So that's important. So we understand that, man, life at times, um, it just stinks. So let let me just, let me just give you this first statement and, and let's just, let's just understand this because we've been kind of going all the way up to the birth of Christ. We, we talked about Mary and, and God's vision for her and God giving her a word. We, we, we talked about Joseph, 
uh, in that in that first week um, about how God gave him a vision to to see things through and not to give up. We talked about last week how uh, God gave that vision to the shepherds through the angelic beings coming and and telling them that they can witness this great birth of of of, of Jesus. But I, I want you to understand something. Mary and Joseph's problems didn't end at the manger. Here's here's what I want you to see this morning. I think sometimes we run the risk of believing that once I become a Christian, my problems end. They don't. In fact, some of you, you started following Christ, and all of a sudden you're like, man, it's, it feels like my problems got bigger. What, 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 what's going on? And, and I want you to realize, just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean you have problems. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. And, and after the birth of, of Christ, we might, we might fall into this false belief that everything was okay. And that's the end of the story. But the birth of Christ wasn't the end of Mary and Joseph's dependence on God. Here's the thing I want you to see. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God allows us to go through circumstances and situations that are beyond our control because he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to grow in your faith and to grow in a deeper way than, than you've never grown before. And it gives you this opportunity to depend on him. It's funny. I was talking to my uh, Kathleen, my wife, um, when I was developing these series of sermons and she goes, you know, Barton, she goes, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever heard you do a message um, on Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt. It, we always kind of get up to the, to the, the manger and the birth. And we even kind of talk about the wise men. We kind of stop there. But there's this whole other story of Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt. And I said, you know what, Kathleen, you're right. I don't think I've ever talked about Mary and Joseph as refugees to Egypt and fleeing after the, the word of the Lord came to them to flee because of King Herod's verdict to kill all those young boys in Bethlehem. And so I want us to realize that that wasn't the end of the story. And so what I want to do, let me give you a little background here of, of Mary and Joseph. And, and after the birth and after the shepherds came, um, they remained in, in, in Bethlehem. And we know that Jesus at this time when the wise men came is probably, he could be at least two years old. And what we're told in Matthew chapter 2 is these wise men came from the east and they wanted to see this king of the Jew and, 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 and followed this star and they wanted to come and worship him. And they stopped in Jerusalem because they thought, okay, if he's king of the Jews and he's going to have a throne here in Jerusalem, everybody's going to know about it. We're just going to, we're going to waltz in. And this probably was a huge caravan because they made the scriptures tell us that they made this huge stir when they came in Jerusalem. So they're like, hey. We heard about this birth of this king of the Jews. Where is he? And all of a sudden, the people were troubled. Like, what are you talking about? And the king of the time of, of Judea, King Herod, was bothered by this, as well as all of Jerusalem. And the problem with King Herod, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like this. This king could actually be a threat to my throne. So what Herod does, is he gathers the priests and the scribes and the people who interpret the Old Testament and he, he brought them together and they said, yeah, this is a prophecy that he would actually be born in Bethlehem. So Herod told the wise men, hey, hey, he's probably in Bethlehem. That's what scriptures tell us. That's what the scribes have told me. And those who understand scripture has told me. Uh, when you go there, come back and report to me and tell me what's going on there. And of course, we know that Herod had ulterior motives there. 
And so he says, you know, when you tell him, yeah, I want to go, I want to go worship him too. So the wise men found Jesus, they worshiped him, they brought him. We understand that gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And many times in your manger scenes, how many wise men do you have? Three, right? Why do you have three? Because you're, you're counting the gifts. Now, there's probably a lot more. If you're going to have a true manger scene, you're going to have a whole bunch of guys in there, a whole bunch of wise men sitting in there. So if you have like 50 wise men in there, that's okay. Because that's probably more like it. It was a caravan of people that came. But we get three because of three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense is basically a gum resin from a tree used for incense. Myrrh is, is like a sap used in incense, perfume, medicine, and embalming. And so these wise men bring them um, these beautiful gifts. And then they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they depart another way. What's interesting about the gifts that are given... Uh, to Mary and Joseph is that these gifts would actually help sustain them in the future for what they were about to endure. So what I want to do is I want to jump into the scripture. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screen or your devices there. I want to look at Matthew chapter two, verse 13. So we're going to, we're going to start this story after uh, the wise men leave and we're going to see, and we're going to dissect this chapter of scripture of, of, Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt. Um, My prayer for you this morning is that that these verses will just speak to your heart and and where we're living today. Man, these, when you unpack these verses, they're good. I'm so glad you came to church this morning, by the way, because these verses unpacked for us, I believe will speak to our heart and and situations that we're dealing with in our lives today. So let's start with verse 13. We're going to read 13 through, um, through verse 23. And so this is the escape to Egypt. And it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up. And he said, take the child and and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Okay, this is the anger. Obviously, he he set a verdict to have all the male children under two killed in Egypt. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and, and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice I heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refused, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We'll unpack that and what that means. Then there's this return to Nazareth. After Herod had died, the angel of the Lord appeared to them in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the life of the child are now dead. So he got up, took the child and the mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, he played in the place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet, he will be called a Nazarene. Amen to God's word. So let, let, me, give you, let, me, give you just, let me give you a little background here. So, so here, here's the background of this verse. Um, 
you have, you have King Herod and you have this, this interesting culture of Israel um, in the areas of Judea that, that, that Jesus is, is born into. So we understand that King Herod is actually uh, the king of the region of, of Judea. Um, Herod is not a nice guy. We can read that. He, he's not a nice guy. It, it, basically, what you see in Herod is Herod ethnically was Arab. He, he was a nominal Jew. He was sympathetic in some ways and then not so many ways in his uh, religious background. Culturally, he was Greek and politically he followed Rome. So as long as Herod kept peace for those living in the region, Rome was happy and Herod could pretty much do what he wanted to do. Just an evil, ruthless king. And it, and it was those that were living during this time to pay for this extravagant lifestyle and the things that he did, they could be taxed as much as 80% of their income. How many would like that? 80, 80, I think we get taxed a lot, 80% of their income. So, so with that, Herod lived this extravagant lifestyle. Um, you can see why he wasn't very well liked by the Jews living there at the time. He was a master builder, though. He had a 19, one, one thing was a 19-mile aqueduct he built. He restored the temple in Jerusalem. It was just magnificent. Um, but he didn't want anyone interfering with his reign. So basically, you didn't mess with Herod. You didn't cross him. He was actually known for dressing up as a commoner and walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And if he heard people talking bad about him, he would have you killed. So that's, that's how paranoid this guy was. Um, he didn't trust anyone. In fact, um, he murdered one of his wives, her sons, uh, you know, uh, her mom, uh, other relatives. I mean, it just the story goes on and on and on. In fact, in fact, uh, the Roman Emperor Augustus during the time said this about Herod. He said, it would be safer to be one of his pigs than one of his sons. I mean, that, that's how ruthless this, this guy was. So let me get back to the story here. Herod doesn't like the news of this new king. So what Herod does is he, 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 he gets this, he, he wants the news that the wise men have from this king to report back to him. Because obviously he wants to have uh, this baby killed. And so when they went another way, he is furious about this. So in his rage, because he was outwitted by the wise men, he had every boy two years um, or younger killed. And some believe, some scholars believe it could have been as many as 10 to 30 boys um, but Herod basically wanted Jesus. That's the one he wanted. He wanted to kill Jesus. So the angel of the Lord speaks to, to Joseph in a dream and tells him to flee to Egypt. So Joseph comes to trust God and his word. So Joseph, he obeys the word and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, Jesus flee. Um, I have a Kathleen a couple of years ago bought this. I, I love it. Actually, it's a statue of, um, of Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus around two years old fleeing. And, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll put this out after Christmas. And, and what it does is it reminds us um, that their life wasn't easy. That even after the birth, um, they had to flee. And I want to talk about that fleeing because I believe there's, there's a reason for that. Um, that it, it wasn't like God said, uh-oh, I didn't see that coming. Do you realize God doesn't say, uh-oh? He doesn't. God doesn't say, uh-oh. 
You know, I think many times we think, well, God didn't see that. He did. He does. He's sovereign. He sees our lives. Things don't surprise God. But God has a way of working things out for his purposes and his glory if we're obedient to that. And so what he does is he speaks to Joseph through this dream. And he says, I want you to flee. And Joseph obeys God. And he takes his family and he flees. I'm going to put the little statue right there because I like that statue. And so he flees. And so the question is, I want to ask you this morning, is this. Why did God have Mary, Joseph, and Jesus flee? Couldn't God just take care of Herod? Just send a lightning bolt down. Just push and just done with the guy. I believe that God could have taken care, care of Herod, but God had a reason for them to flee. And, and I want to give you a couple things here for, for the reason why. God, first of all, allowed them to flee to fulfill scripture. We see, we see two passages here in the account of Matthew of the fulfillment of scripture. And you can see through Matthew, Matthew consistently says this was to fulfill what the prophet said. This was to fulfill what the prophet said. So it, it, it was to fulfill scripture. Hosea, the prophet living some 700 years before the birth of Christ said this out of Egypt, I will call my son. Now I want to, I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit, a little closer in just a minute, because I believe there's a reason why God wants to fulfill this um, passage that Hosea speaks some 700 years earlier. Now, we understand that, that this was a difficult situation. Um, we, we can't forget that many little boys died. And, and Matthew records this. And, and actually said this was a fulfillment of the prophet Jeremiah also. And, and, and he speaks this for us. This passage is, is said for us. And, and, and look at it in verse 18 for us. But it's, it comes from Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. It says this. This is what the Lord says. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter and, and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Now, what, what, is this, what does this mean? Well, let, let me give you a little understanding here. Rachel was the wife of Jacob, and she was the mother of, of Joseph. And so Jacob, from him come the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, Jacob is, the, is one of the patriarchs. Of Israel, so this is where we see the nation of Israel um, uh, come forth, and the prophet Jeremiah uses Rachel figuratively to represent her on the behalf of all Jewish women, and and so what what she's she's doing here, he's using her to reflect the anguish that God sees from at that time for Jeremiah, those being taken into exile. Because of the sin of Israel and their waywardness from God, God judges them by taking them into exile, taking them away to a foreign country. Now, we understand that they were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. And, and so that's where the weeping is. And, and, and God says, uh, I, I will take my sons out of Egypt. So through the exodus, God takes his sons, Israel, out of Egypt. Now, here's the weird thing. Here, here's the, have you thought about this? Jesus... Mary and Joseph go right back into the same country that represented slavery for them. Why would God do that? Isn't there any other place that they could have gone? Why do they go back to the symbolic place 
of their slavery. So you see this figurative picture of Rachel crying on the behalf of her descendants. And so what, what Jeremiah does, Jeremiah uses this to show the grief over Israel being exiled to a foreign land. But here's the thing I want you to see. God did say the exiles would return home. So even though there is weeping, Matthew records this for us to say, but that's not the end. That's not the end. Matthew uses this verse to show that, that despite the heartache in Bethlehem, the Messiah did escape. And there will be a savior. And out of Egypt will come the savior. So God leads them back to Egypt to stay there for a while, then to bring them out of Egypt. And we understand through the whole process of, of the New Testament and the person of Jesus that he would eventually go to the cross to die as our savior to lead us out of Egypt. Okay, so let me, let me just, mm, mm, I'm getting excited now. Okay, so, so let me just lay the groundwork there to, to lead you into the next thing. Okay, so God allowed not, not only to fulfill scripture, but God allowed them to flee in order to relate to us a savior who would experience what we experience. And so Jesus experiences our harsh world for us. So as refugees, they go into this foreign country, the very country that symbolized slavery for them. So let me give you three things that aren't in your notes. So let me just, I picked these out last night. So I'm sorry, this is fresh. This is new. Something I just was laid on my heart last night. Bonus Bonus stuff for you guys here this morning. Okay, this is bonus, okay? So let me just give you three things here that, that I see that are so important. Uh, Jesus, what he does is by going to Egypt, Jesus goes to our Egypt. This is good. I, I just, ooh, I'm getting doodads. So but let, me, let me explain this. By Jesus going to Egypt, symbolizing the slavery, he can relate to us because Jesus goes to our Egypt. How many know every single one of us are enslaved because of sin? And we need to be brought out. So what Jesus does for us, he actually goes to our Egypt for us. Jesus goes to our place of slavery to actually lead us out. That's the hope. Even though there's mourning that the children of Israel were exiled, there's the hope that God is going to redeem them. That there will be a Messiah that will take them out of their slavery. So what God does is he actually goes to our place of captivity to lead us out. Jesus actually goes to the cross and takes on our sin and our bondage so that we could be let out. You can't lead yourself out. You can't do it. No matter how good you try to be, no matter how hard you may try, how many know we cannot do it in our own strength? We need a savior. God does it for you. Stop doing it yourself. Just surrender. And when you surrender and you say, God, I give up. I can't do it. I need to completely surrender myself to you. That's when the deliverance starts. When you recognize your needs. So what he does is he goes into our Egypt for us. He goes into that place of slavery for us. And he goes into that place of captivity to lead us out. Somebody say amen. Because that's good preaching this morning. Okay. 
That's bonus material for you right there. Okay. So here's the thing. We have a savior that can relate to our suffering. So Jesus, by going to Egypt, Jesus can relate to the refugee, to those who feel like an outcast and for those who feel like they are all alone. Jesus relates to the refugee. And so he goes to that place for you and I so that he can relate to us. Now, here's the thing. The true Christmas story is all about real life. It's all about real life. When things don't make sense and when, when life doesn't necessarily turn out the way we want it to, that's what Christmas is all about. And so all these stories that are laced within the Christmas story are to show us that we need a savior, are to show us that Mary and Joseph did not have it easy. It's interesting that God kept speaking to Joseph through dreams. He just spoke to Joseph through dreams, dream after dream, dream after dream. And, and the thing I want you to see about Joseph is he obeyed God and listened to him every step of the way. God did not show them, you know, years earlier, hey, this is what's going to happen. Um, Herod's going to have this edict. There's going to be these wise men. All this thing's going to happen. You got each step of the way, God showed them his word to trust him. He didn't necessarily show them the whole thing. He showed them just enough to trust him. You know why he does that? Because you and I, we can't handle it. We just can't handle it. If, if we were shown everything about our future, if we were shown just even our next week, I think I would just, you know, just put me in a straitjacket now because I probably couldn't handle it, right? God understands that about our heart, but he gives us his word and he gives us the promises of his word so that we can trust him each step of the way. And through all the trials of Mary and Joseph, God led them the whole way, step by step by step. God would encourage them the whole way. So here's what God does. God promised them through prophecy that out of Egypt, I'm going to call my son. He's calling them, listen, out of this slavery of sin that you've been under, symbolic of them being under captivity of Egypt, I'm going to call you out. I called my sons out with Moses the prophet. I called them into the promised land. And we know that the promised land is symbolic of heaven. I called them out of slavery into this promised land that, that, I've, that I've made a covenant for you, that I'm going to be faithful to, that God is not going to leave you alone. He's not going to abandon you. And so the promise that we have in Jesus Christ is that he is going to lead us home. And so our hope is not in this world or in our circumstances because Mary and Joseph, if you just look at the physical or the external, should have been discouraged a long time ago. Are you kidding me? We had to travel 90 miles to even give birth. Now we're all comfy and cozy here in, you know, Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? And we're just all, and all of a sudden, now we got to go again? God said, but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm fulfilling scripture right before your very eyes that the son that you gave birth to is indeed my son. And I will see this through. When God gives birth to your heart and changes your life, he will see it through. Don't give up. I know it's easy to get discouraged. 
I know it's easy to look at your circumstances and allow them to overwhelm you. God is faithful to see it through. And at the appropriate time, he might give you a word for that specific time to give you encouragement to say, see, I haven't left you. I'm right there with you. Maybe it's through the encouragement of someone else praying for you. Maybe it's through your own personal Bible time where you're reading God's word. Maybe it's you're singing a song on Sunday morning and all of a sudden it's like, wow, that is like jumping off the page into my heart and my life. You cling to God's word more than life. You cling to that because that's the thing that will see you through and will give you encouragement. So God promised him through prophecy that he, that, that he would call his son out. And out of that place where they had to hide and run, God would call his son to actually save the world. So here's the thing. Um, my Christmas gift to you is that my sermon is almost done. It's a little shorter this year. So that's my Christmas gift to you. Sometimes I go 50 minutes, I know, but I made it a little bit shorter for you to say that's my Christmas gift to you. But let, let me just finish up this and we're going to sing uh, one of my favorite Christmas carols, Oh, Come All You Faithful. And, and, and my, um, my heart's desire for you is that you would come. That you would come. Say, God, the only thing I can give you is my faithfulness and my obedience, but I'm going to come and I want to worship Jesus. And, and whatever you're struggling with today and whatever you're going through in your heart and life today, I want you to come. Come. And just worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you and allow him to give you a new perspective for your life and the things that you're struggling with. I know for many of you, Christmas is a tough time of the year. Jesus hasn't lost sight of you. You put your hope in him. You put your strength in him and he will give you the peace that you need. So here's, here's, here's just a couple of things. I'm going to end with the scripture and we're going to sing the Christmas story makes no sense without the Easter story. Makes no sense. And I think, so, I think many of us, we get stuck at the crib. The crib is neat. We, we see the same, we sing the songs. We can't get stuck there. We got to go to the cross. It makes no sense without the resurrection. That's where it comes to completion. That this is the son of God, that he actually came to die for our sins. And to release us from our Egypts. To release us from our slavery. That's what Jesus ultimately came to do. Jesus makes dead things come alive. He makes dead things come alive in our life. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit at the point of our salvation, our lives change. It's the spirit within us that gives us encouragement and hope and strength so that we can traverse through this world. Our only hope in this messy world is Jesus. And just let me leave you with this verse. Let me leave you with this takeaway verse. Here's the reality of what Jesus says to us and says to his disciples in John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you all these so that you may have what? Everybody, let's all say it together. Peace. We see it on the Christmas cards, right? Peace, peace. And, you know, what does that mean? Jesus said all these things so that you would have peace in this world, that the world wouldn't overwhelm you because your trust is not in this world. It's in the one who overcame this world for you. And so Jesus says, listen, I've told you all these things that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many what? Trials and sorrows, won't you? You'll have many trials and sorrows. But he says this, 
But take heart. It's okay. It's okay. Because I've overcome this world for you. I'm the one that's overcome your addictions. I'm the one that's overcoming your temptations for you. I'm the one that overcame your sin for you. Put your trust in me and allow me to change your life. That's the hope. God called his son out of Egypt for you and I, that we could experience deliverance in our lives today. I love the Christmas message because the Christmas message is ultimately for sinners, which every single one of us are. And God says, I don't want to leave you in that place any longer. I want to take you out. So put your trust in me. Amen. God is faithful. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you today, we thank you for your word today. And I just pray, God, for every heart here today that is just struggling, for every heart here today that is not certain about their future, about their eternity. Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's not about our works. It's not about all the, if our good outweighs our bad. It's about faith and grace. We put our faith in the one who conquered our sin, which is Jesus. And it's only by God's grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It's all God's grace and his love for us that we can now overcome and be delivered from our sins. So we put our faith in you, Jesus, and our trust in you. And give us that joy and the hope that we have now that even in this world we'll have trouble and sorrows, but we can take heart because Jesus, you overcame. You're in heaven. You're at the right hand of the Father and our hope is not here. Our hope is in the hereafter. And so we thank you for the joy that that gives us knowing that our place is with you, that our place is ultimately with you. I thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. We ask these things in your wonderful name.